Good morning. Welcome to the Village Church, uh, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. And our vision is to have broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. So if you are a guest today, welcome. There are guest information cards located just outside the sanctuary doors. And please fill one out and drop it in the basket if you're willing, because we look forward to connecting with you. Uh, A reminder, the nursery is open today. At the Village Church, we believe that the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. You may give to the vision and mission of the church by using a link on our webpage or by mailing a check to our address, which is 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville 35811, or after the service, dropping your offering off in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. Okay, so today, village kids and youth do meet today, along with our new program for two to four-year-olds, which is First Steps. Please see the back of the worship guide for the spring schedule for First Steps Village Kids and Youth. And adults, please join us immediately after worship today for a discussion of the sermon and its application. That will take place right here in the sanctuary. Next, Flocknote is a platform to help our church send event notifications, updates, prayer requests, and more to members via email or text messages. So to become a part of our Flock Visit our church at flocknote.com slash thevillagechurch or text join the mission to 84576 from your phone to subscribe to updates. Our Enter the Village class taught by elders and church leaders is a class taught periodically throughout the year where you learn more about the Village Church. This class is required for membership, but taking the class does not obligate you to membership. There is a sign-up sheet located on the information center desk by the front doors where you can indicate your interest in taking this class and you will be contacted when the schedule is set but that's coming up soon um for the next couple weeks wednesday april 13th so not this wednesday but the next wednesday we have corporate prayer at 7 p.m both at the church and via zoom and then tuesday april 19th uh women's inductive bible study will occur at 6 p.m at the church house next door And that will be followed by fellowship time at 7 p.m. So these are your announcements. Govern yourselves accordingly. Good morning. You know, some of my um, some of my favorite verses are in Proverbs, and there's one, and I'm going to butcher quoting it, but I believe it's in Proverbs 17. And it talks about man making plans, uh, but it's the Lord who orders our steps. Don't take my translation because I probably just butchered that. But there are verses in the Bible that talk about 
um, the Lord giving us the ability and the freedom to make plans, but ultimately he is the one that determines that direction. And so sometimes that happens here. Um, I, I get to experience that a lot in real time uh, serving here. And that happened this morning about not even a half hour ago. I had a plan and then, it was like, yeah, no, that's not what I'm feeling today. Um, and so I'm thankful for Sotir because I think he gave me the song that I needed to switch to and it was the song that I needed to do today. Um, amen. <laughs> and I'm thankful for it. So I'm thankful for it because it was immediate. Like, yeah, that is. That's that's what I need to sing right now. Um, so that it won't be a slide moment because honestly, it was too late for that. Um, but I will say, I just encourage you to just meditate as I'm singing the song, it talks about um, worship, and it talks about, um, it says, I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. I just want to tell you, Lord, I love you more than anything. Um, And I've been convicted this week about how easily distracted I am by the, the things of this world, and um, the situations of this world and the things that I think should go a certain way, but they don't, and I don't understand why, and constantly having to remind myself, like, you are not the most high God. You You are not omniscient. You don't have to know that. You don't have to know that. And grateful for the Holy Spirit who always does work perfectly in illuminating the things to us. And so I'm going to sing this song and just meditate and just think about how much you love the Lord. The, the word says we love because he first loved us. And that's so true. I just think about like, how has he blessed you this week? How has he blessed you this morning? And is that worthy of just saying, like, Lord, I love you, even if it's just for that one thing. Lord, I love you. I love you more than anything. I love you more than fill in the blank. Um, and and I believe that here, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because a lot of times that's my issue. So I'm going to sing this song. I just encourage you to just meditate. And prepare your hearts um, to fellowship with to get with one another and fellowship with the Lord today. Right. 
reign on the throne for you are God and God alone because of you my cloudy days are gone I can sing to you this song I just want to say that I love you more than
and you are good and you are good and you are good and your mercies endure forever we love you we love you we love you we praise you and father we just ask spirit we ask that you show up in a mighty mighty way in this place today we know you are here but sometimes we just need to feel your presence we know you are real we believe it we need to feel your presence and so i pray for every person under the sound of my voice whether they are in this room or they are watching at home or they watch this later in the week god help us believe that you are real help us believe that you have our best interests at heart help us believe Help us know, help us remember that you are worthy of all of our praise, all the glory, all the honor, all the power is due your holy, 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 holy name. Again, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you. We magnify you in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Now, the call to worship is from the song, Hallelujah, What a Savior. Please join with me (coughs) where it notes congregation. Man of sorrows, what a name for the son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a savior. Guilty, excuse me, guilty. Guilty, helpless, lost were we. Blameless lamb of God was he. Sacrificed to set us free. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Can we say that again? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Amen. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living. Whatever men may say, I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer, and just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way.
rejoice, rejoice, O Christian, lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, he lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives. Salvation to resurrection stories and resurrection stories are times where members of the village church get to share you know how Jesus is continuing to bring resurrection to their life because his work in you doesn't start and end with salvation it begins with salvation and throughout the rest of your life he brings resurrection to the parts of your life that need it so this morning, we're going to invite the Anderson family up, Seth and Rebecca, and they're going to give a resurrection story. So welcome them to up front. Sorry. Um, so like Pastor Alex said, we are the Anderson family. Um, this is Rebecca and Seth uh, and our kids, Watts, Eleanor, and Tessa. And uh, we just wanted to share with you all, you know, how Jesus has changed and is shaping our lives. Um, for me, uh, personally, I grew up in a Christian home uh, most of my life um, from pretty much since I was a baby till I left for school. And uh, during that time, I thought as a kid, you know, that I'd come to know Jesus. But um, as life kind of proved differently, <laughs> um, I don't think there was ever any change in my life at a young age. And, uh, and a lot of that was me just basing, you know, my relationship with Jesus off of essentially good works and then what other people would say at church about my life, and uh, so not that good works are bad, not that, you know, people affirming in your life is bad, but I really just held on to that, 
as essentially my hope for salvation, which um, was very misleading for most of my life. And uh, so when I went off to college, um, I was really faced with life and faced with, you know, mom and dad aren't here anymore. I can kind of do whatever I want if I want to. And, um, you know, early on I was hanging out with folks that, you know, I think my parents would never have approved of. But, um, and because of that, because my parents' influence in my life was so strong, you know, I was worried that, you know, if they ever caught wind of me doing stuff at college, you know, it's going to put a bad mark on the family name. And so, um, and so one night I was hanging out with some folks who were looking to get into some trouble. And uh, just like, I don't know if it was guilt in my own life or if it really was like the Spirit's conviction, but I was like, I got to get away from these guys. And so there happened to be a Bible study in the the lobby of my dorm. And I said, you know, I'm going to bail on you guys. I'm going to go to this Bible study. (laughs) And and so that night I hung out with those guys and uh, it got pretty crazy. They ended up going and, you know, kidnapping a guy and duct taping him and some some what yeah for his birthday and some guy pulled a knife on me and I was like oh this is crazy like I I don't like this has never happened to me and so that it was not like threatful or anything like that but it was just a kind of a crazy environment where guys were having fun and uh, I thought you know I can hang out with these guys and it seems like a good group of guys to hang out with and so over that time, some of the guys in that Bible study began to share the gospel with me. And um, essentially that whole fall semester, God really just began to convict me of my sin for what felt like the first time. And um, there was a lot of just conviction in my life about the things I was you know, participating in um, and just a brokenness over that sin that I had never felt before. And um, I mean... I just remember multiple times, like, crying in my room. I'm like, like, why am I saying I'm a Christian, yet I continue to love my sin? And I just couldn't, you know, separate the two. And, um, you know, after realizing what Jesus had done for me, by essentially bridging the gap between me and, and God, um, it really, I started seeing change in my life where I actually felt like I had a love for God and a desire to want to love him. And to run from sin instead of running to sin. And um, so essentially that moment in my life kind of put me on a trajectory of where I am today. Um, by no means do I have life, Christian life figured out. Um, you know, one of the things I, I am like just really trying to work through in life right now where I'm praying that God would continue to sh- mold and shape me is just, you know, patience with, you know, the little ones and um, patience with, you know, when things don't go my way, you know, like how am I responding in that situation? And um, sometimes it manifests itself in anger. Sometimes it manifests itself in, um, you know, trying to die to that, that sin in my life. And so um, Beck was also going to share a little bit as well. But. So my story has some similarities to Seth. I grew up kind of with a thought um, that in order to earn favor with God that I had to do good works. So my thought with 
how I thought my um, eternity would go was I thought I had to do more good things and bad things in order to be favorable in God's sight. And so um, I did not grow up in a Christian home, and so that would be the main difference between me and Seth. Um, We did have a lot of kind of like Christian relics around our house. My parents both grew up in the church, but um, we never talked about God. I didn't really know the difference between God and Jesus until my sister, who became a Christian when I was 16, shared the gospel with me. Um, And from that point on, when my sister became a Christian and she shared God's truth with me, I remember that first time where she shared the gospel with me, um, I was offended. I was offended at hearing God's truth. Um, I was offended at hearing the gospel because I was basing my good works and the things that I was doing as my right to be um, seen favorable in God's sight. And so when my sister shared with me that it wasn't what I was doing that was going to earn my right to be with God one day and to be brought back to him, um, I was really taken back. And it was her continuous love and pursuit of me over the next two years that it was my freshman year in college that it finally clicked for me that um, what I was doing with all the things where I was trying to earn my right to be with God again, um, that I was essentially spitting in God's face because I was saying, what I'm doing, God, is better than the free gift that you want to do for me, that you have given me your son, Jesus, and you want me to accept that. That's all you are asking me to do. You're not asking me to do X, Y, and Z in order to have privilege with you again, God. Um, And so it was at that time that um, one of the verses that really sticks out with me that kind of impacted me in that time and I feel like has a picture of what changed in my heart was Romans 6.23, Um, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so I finally understood what that gift meant in my life and just dying to the things that I was doing on my own and accepting his gift changed my heart and it completely changed my my outlook on life and my, my trajectory on life. So God changed my heart and made me realize that I didn't have to measure up and do all these things in order to have his favor, but God sees Jesus on me when I have faith that he's the one who rescued me and died and rose again to pay for my sin, Um, and he did that in full, and I don't have to do anything to add to it, and so God continues to kind of help, um, help me see that and help me die to my sin daily. And I'm so thankful that he did that for me and that we don't have to work to earn his favor because we can never do it on our own. So thank you, Jesus. Good morning, saints. Praise the Lord, saints. That wasn't everybody. Praise the Lord, saints. More better, more better. I would like to thank uh, the Andersons for coming up and sharing with us their testimonies. Isn't it great how we see how God continues to pursue us, how faithful and committed he is to us? 
if you if you have not had an opportunity to see how God has pursued you this week, you might want to slow down. You might want to just slow down just a little bit because he's pursuing us every single day, even when we're not pursuing him. I had my good friend Richard ask me to come out and have breakfast with him this morning, this past Friday. Didn't know if he, I think I knew he would show up. I didn't know if I was going to show up, just being honest, because it was early. And uh, I got to see how God really pursued me when I didn't have sense enough or I was out of it. Um, me and Rich talked for a few minutes and uh, I started to talk about good, the goodness of the Lord and we were just sharing. Then somebody walked in the door that really that loved on me when I was high on Oxycontin and hydrocodone. And he was like, man, put your wife on the phone, man. I, I, <laughs> you, you gone. And uh, I got the story after, you know, after I came to, he said, and he was like, man, ask what you want. I'm sending it to the house. Don't worry about it. And it, it just made me fool to see how God going to take care of you, even when you're not going to take care of yourself. Even when we are doing things that are destructive to ourselves, he still pursues us and protects us, and he cares for us, and he loves us. Right, Pastor Alex? Amen. <laughs> but... To hear, to hear Seth and Rebecca's story just reminded me that we have an opportunity to see God's greatness every day of our life. We got an opportunity to see his hand upon our life. In the most troubling situations, everybody's dealing with something. But the question, are we looking or are we paying attention? Are we seeking him while he may be found? Because he he's standing at the door waiting on us. He said, knock and the door should be open. So just, hey, let's take this opportunity this week to see the beauty in it. I call it the beauty in the day. When nothing else good or bad has happened, but things are great because he lives. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. But uh, let us pray. Lord, you are great in all that you do. You are faithful. You are more than committed to us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, most of all that you gave us your son. We thank you, Lord, that his death and burial was not in vain that we have a hope, we have something that we can look forward to. There was a resurrection, Lord, and we are benefiting from it every day of our lives that we live here on earth. Thank you, Lord, for the peace that you give your children. Thank you for the hope that you give your children. Thank you for the rest that you give us. And when there are hardship, Lord, you still walk with us and you carry us through it. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the body, Lord, that we can learn from one another and grow with one another and, and hold each other accountable in love, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the pastor of this church, Lord. Thank you for the leadership. Thank you for his vision for the church and the community. Lord, thank you, Lord God, that he stays up and he asks for everyone to pray for him as he's doing his sermons. Lord, I thank you that he's seeking your face, Lord, and not your hand. But, Lord, I pray that you would enrich him this day, Lord, with your word, Lord, that you would speak through him, Lord, that he would decrease, that you would increase. Lord, that he would attain favor, Lord, as he go through this sermon this morning. Lord, I pray for the body that's here today, that they're dealing with any illnesses, Josh's knee, Lord, I pray that you would continue to heal it. Lord, I pray that he, Lord, will put his trust in you and not in himself or his knee. Lord, I pray that people dealing who are dealing with cancer, my father-in-law is dealing with cancer, Lord, I pray that you would help them, that you will be their hope, that, Lord, as you will walk with them, that you will hold them in your arms and with much care. Lord, I thank you, Lord. People who are struggling with their jobs, Lord, people who have very demanding jobs, I pray that you will grant them wisdom. And, Lord, I pray that they'd be wise enough to slow down to just ask you for help. Lord, people who are dealing with marriage issues, Lord, I pray that you would go in and you intervene. Lord, help them to know that they're not special. 
that everybody goes through it. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that you are there with them as they walk through. But, Lord, I thank you for our, our, our village groups and how you're growing us. I thank you for Alana and Austin and the blessing they've been to, to, to our church. I thank you how, Lord, they are stepping up and taking charge of things. Lord, they are blessing. So I pray that you will bless them. Lord, I pray the Lord that you continue to, Lord, lead this church. Because this is your church. This is not our church. It's your church. And, Lord, I thank you, Lord God, for all the things that you're going to do through this church this day. Lord, I pray for the kids. Lord, give them wisdom. Help them seek you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you will slow them down, Lord. They'll get on their knees and they'll, have their, they'll desire to have their own quiet time. They'll have their own relationship with you. They will know their sin, Lord God, and you reveal it to them. And, Lord, they repent and they'll go the opposite direction. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that they'll see their place in this church. Lord, I pray that you, Lord, that you will allow them to, Lord, know that this is their house, Lord, that you are going to use them to grow this church and be a part of it. I thank you for the ministry, the music ministry, and all the other ministries that we that serve this church, Lord God. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that you are in control of every last thing that are going on in this church. And, and Lord, that if you are in control, we have nothing to fear. Lord, I pray, Lord God, for salvation for all men. I pray for the people around the nation who are dealing with the Ukraine issue in Yemen, Pakistan, Israel, the constant war and battle. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are the Lord of the universe. That, Lord, that you don't miss anything and nothing never surprises you. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this time in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a listening ear. Thank you for being our Father. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, as we now turn our attention to the uh, scripture reading for today, uh, I'm reminded, and I thank uh, DeMarco for praying for us, I'm reminded of how the Lord has been been leading and nudging me. Uh, and one of the concepts uh, from scripture, uh, that of servant leadership, he's been bringing before me this week. And so, Lord, I just pray that you uh, help us yield to you as we hear the scripture today and hear the sermon that you help us yield our hearts to you, to your word, to your will for us corporately and individually. The scripture reading for today comes from Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 38. A dispute arose, I'm sorry, let me start again. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But, do, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greatest, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in, the, in my kingdom and sit, at, sit on thrones judging 
the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you have known me. And he said to them, and he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has money bags take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for what is written about me has uh, has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Amen. Oh. 
Christ, but do you believe it? If you are a first-time guest, uh, it really would be great after the service if you would take a moment to fill out the uh, guest card that's out in the sanctuary. And also, don't forget, after the service, uh, our First Steps Nursery um, program will, will, will be happening, as well as the Village Kids and the Youth Gathering. And also, after the service, we will be, there will be a sermon discussion led by Elder uh, Goodson as well. And if you're interested in our new members class, please sign up on the, with the sheet outside in the foyer on the information desk. So that'll give you opportunity to learn more about TVC. So if you have your Bible, please open it to Luke 22. Luke 22. We will be looking at verses 21 through 62. And I know there are a lot of verses there. And historically, I don't ever get done with all those verses, but I got to preach the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. So we will get done with them. So uh, today we are going to be we are going to go into episode five of This is Easter. And this episode is what I call how we got here type of episode, because it begins with the final scene. It begins with the end. Episode 5 ends with, with Jesus being betrayed by one of his disciples, with him being arrested like a criminal by the chief priests and, and officers of the Jewish temple and, and Jewish elders. It ends with him being dumped and, and abandoned by 10 of his disciples and, and with another disciple denying that he even knows Jesus. Episode 5 ends with Jesus in agony and alone with his enemies. So how does Jesus, the Christ, end up in such a predicament? How did we get there? How did we get here? Those are the questions uh, we're going to answer as we retrace all the events that lead to the ending of episode 5 of This is Easter. So please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, you are the counselor, our advocate, our deposit that guarantees our inheritance. You are the helper, our counselor. You are the one who helps us understand scripture. You are the reason why people come to saving faith. Because you're the one who regenerates them and helps them to believe the gospel of truth. So, Holy Spirit, your role in redemption is very, very important 
and your role within the local church is, is very, very important. Your role in, in our worship gathering is very, very important. Yes, we do all of our prep, we do all of our planning, but Holy Spirit, we lives are not changed if you're not moving. People are not free from 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 brokenness or from the things that they struggle with if you're not coming and, and bringing the deliverance. Relationships aren't restored if you're not moving. So Holy Spirit, we are utterly dependent upon you. Not our resources, not our degrees, not our connections, not our worldliness, but the supernatural power of the Spirit who lives in all believers. We need you. Forgive us for taking you for granted. Forgive us for, uh, for, 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 for not listening to your voice. So, Holy Spirit, will you move today? Will you let everyone here and everyone who may be tuning in and watching this later, will you let each of us hear the word that we need to hear? None of us here have it all together. We are broken people coming together. You either know you're broken or you're you're living in denial about it. We all got issues. But you don't. So Holy Spirit, come. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Human beings, you know, like us, can be caught between two opposing emotions, like happiness and sadness. It's possible for each of you to feel those two emotions at the same time. Now, I know some of you who are not in tune with your emotions, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. Yeah, you feel. You might not understand it, but you feel. And one expert says you can have opposing feelings simultaneously, which in, which in turn prompts you to have a frustration, have frustration and confusion and decisiveness and procrastination. That's what it can lead to when you have these opposing feelings. And similarly, Jesus experiences multiple emotions at the same time during his Passion Week. Do you believe that? He feels happiness and sadness at the same time, yet without confusion, without indecisiveness, without procrastination. So keep in mind, Jesus is like us, but he's also other than us. He feels what we feel, yet without the sin and confusion. He even feels agony. TBC Kids. Pastor Alex wants you to look up here at him for a moment. Can I have your full attention? All TVC babies. Do you know what it means to be in agony? Agony means to have some physical, mental, or emotional suffering. If you are a kid, raise your hand if you ever had a boo-boo. We all know what a boo-boo is, right? Yes. Jesus in agony means Jesus has a boo-boo. A boo-boo in his heart. Throughout his Passion Week, he says, are we? In his soul. He has real agony. 
He actually enters into Jerusalem experiencing agony along with joy. He cleanses the temple, feeling righteous anger, also with agony. He shares a Passover meal with his disciples while feeling sadness and, and happiness and agony. You see, Jesus feels agony at the Last Supper, even though externally he does not display that emotion. But he, still, he feels it. So what causes Jesus' boo-boo? What causes him to feel agony? There are many reasons and many causes. And all of them are going to unfold in this episode of This is Easter. And each of them lead to Jesus' predicament at the end of the episode. I came across a quote this week that says, The saddest thing about betrayal is that it never comes from your enemies. Because a betrayal comes from someone you trust. Like a close friend, a relative, parent, sister, sibling, uncle, aunt, grandmother, father, a mentor, a pastor. But a betrayal is you figuratively being stabbed in the back by a person you love. Have you ever been betrayed? And if so, how did it make you feel? An editor of a parenting website says, A friend's betrayal can be compared to the emotions that comes with the grieving process after the death of a loved one. The betrayal is a loss of sorts. See, some of you will and may experience a betrayal about someone close to you at some point in your life. And it will cause you grief. It will cause you agony. It will feel like death of a loved one because you just lost a friend more than likely. But guess what? Jesus is with you in the grief. He'll cry with you. He'll lament with you. He'll comfort you. He'll be in agony with you. For Jesus understands what it feels like to be betrayed by somebody close to you from personal experience, not from a book, not from a novel, and show not watching the Netflix show. He lived it. He's betrayed by a close friend, and that betrayal causes him agony. And Christ drops this bombshell revelation during his last supper with his disciples. Like I said last week, the mood was already, had already changed. But then it changes even more when he reveals this revelation. He says, behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. Say what? There's agony behind those words. John 13, 21 says, Jesus is troubled in his spirit and testifies, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One of you is stabbing me in the back. One of you is a snake. One of you is disloyal. One of you is fulfilling um, Psalm 41, 9 that says, Even my close friend whom I trusted, who eats my bread, is lifting his heel against me. Because remember, they're eating Jesus' bread at the table. And one of them is going to lift his heel against him. Jesus knows who the betrayer is. We know who it is, too, because we read about it last week. 
He knows Judas has conspired with the chief priests and the temple officers to betray him. In fact, he chose Judas to be one of the disciples, knowing later on he's going to betray him. How did he know that? Because Jesus is divine. And please notice, the betrayal still causes him grief and agony. Do you know why? Because he's also human. Okay, all right. He feels what we feel without sin. In agony, Jesus let the disciples know that the betrayal and the trouble that's still to come isn't by chance. It's not by karma. It's not by faith. Two opposing realities are at work. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are at work. Look at at verse 22. He says, For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. The betrayal of Jesus is part of God's divine decree. But at the same time, Judas makes the choice to betray him. Because Judas is not a robot being controlled by a remote control. He's not a puppet for someone pulling his strings. Judas does what he does through his own volition. He makes the decision to do it. Have you ever been in a group meeting? And felt like the speaker was speaking directly to you or about you. And have you ever been in the classroom, kids, and the teacher starts talking, and all the students be looking around at each other and wondering, is the teacher talking to me? What about being at church doing the sermon? Have you ever felt like the pre- preacher is speaking directly to you? This is what the disciples are experiencing at the table right now. You see, at this point, the 11 don't have a clue who Jesus is talking about. They're giving each other the side eye and wondering, is Jesus talking about me? And a huge debate breaks out among them, and they begin questioning one another about who is the betrayer, pointing fingers at each other. Is it you? It ain't me. It must be you. The message Bible says immediately they became suspicious of each other and began quizzing one another, wondering who might be about to do it. Marco? Is it Larry? Richard? Is it Dennis? Is it me? Who is it? Their debate doesn't seem to last very long because within minutes, the dispute breaks out among them. They start fussing about which of them is going to be considered the greatest disciple. I find that very interesting. I mean, they go from questioning one another about who is going to betray Jesus to fussing about which of them is going to be the, his greatest disciple. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, they go from pointing the finger at each other to pointing the finger at themselves saying, you might be his betrayer, but I'm his greatest disciple. At this point, Judas is no longer in the room. He's long gone. It's just the remaining 11 having this dispute. And why? And what do you think Luke is? Why do you think Luke is contrasting the disciples' debate about who would betray Jesus with their dispute about who is the greatest? Why do you? What, what do you think he's trying to show us here? Luke shows us that the remaining eleven don't believe they would be disloyal to Jesus. Each of them believes he will always be faithful to Jesus in all circumstances and situations. They have so much confidence 
in their own loyalty and their own faithfulness to Jesus that each of them think they would be regarded as his greatest disciple. Because my loyalty is deep. My faithfulness to Jesus is deep. There's no way I'm going to betray him. Each of them are like the late hip-hop artist Tupac, who says, y'all know how this go. You know, all eyes on me, OG. When I roll up, all eyes on me. They want their position and status as Jesus' disciple to bring them worldly glory. This is the first example of, of celebrity Christianity right here. This is the first example of somebody wanting to be Christian famous. Because Christian famous ain't real famous. You're just famous in your own little Christian circle. Each of them want to be the greatest of all time. Each of them want the eyes of the world to be on them. And this is selfish ambition. This is selfish pride. This is self-righteousness. This is self-centeredness. This is self-glory. This is thinking too highly of oneself. And this attitude, their attitude, causes Jesus agony. He He disproves of it. These men have been with him for three years. And they still don't get it. Eventually, he has to intervene. He has to step in and stop the foolishness. And he corrects their attitude and behavior. And he does it without yelling at them, without demeaning them. And he doesn't call them out by their name. He shepherds them like a good shepherd while in agony. Who can do that? Who who has the the ability to lovingly shepherd someone while you're dealing with your own agony? Jesus has perfect emotional intelligence. Perfect. He doesn't let his agony get the best of him. He doesn't let it get in the way of loving and leading his disciples well, even though he knows what's coming. His death. He deals with their selfish ambition by pointing them back to himself and calling them away from thinking like the world. And he does the same for us. Look at verse 25. Jesus says to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. What does Jesus mean here? What is he communicating to disciples? These earthly rulers abuse their position and authority. They use their status and leadership for selfish gain. They exercise their authority ruthlessly while at the same time claiming the title of benefactor. Do you know what benefactor means? It means a helper of the people. You see these, you see these earthly rulers are helpers of the people by title only, not in how to exercise their leadership. And Jesus is telling disciples, your dispute and what you're fussing about, you're acting just like these earthly rulers. And he corrects them by lovingly calling them to himself and to his way of leadership. What is, Jesus' way of leadership is different. His way of exercising authority is different. But do you believe it? Jesus is greater than all his disciples. And yet he lives with them as one who serves. Do you know that? He's greater. He's God in the flesh. 
but he lives with them as one who serves. Please make a mental note of that. Jesus is greater than any earthly ruler and king. And yet he does life with with the people as one who is a servant of the people. Do you see that about him? He could pull a rank at any moment. But he chooses not to. He calls his disciples to be lead servants. And the same is true for all Christian leaders today, male and female. You use your leadership to serve, not to get out of it what you want. Look at verses 26 and 28. Jesus says, but not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I'm among you as one who serves. That's Jesus. Jesus desires for these 11 disciples to have some humility. Humility is probably one of the the most underrated of all Christian virtues. Humility. He doesn't want them to think too highly of themselves. Nor does he want them to think too highly of their ability to remain loyal and faithful to him at all times. Because remember what I said earlier. None of them see themselves as the one who's going to betray Jesus. They have great confidence in their own loyalty and faithfulness to Jesus. What about you? Some of you have been Christians for a long time. Do you think too highly of your own ability to remain loyal and faithful to Jesus. Some of you really think if you were in the garden, you would have made a different choice than Adam. You might not confess it, but in the way you carry yourself. Many of us write checks we can't cash when it comes to our loyalty and faithfulness to Christ. Our bark is a lot lighter than our bite. These 11 disciples are no different. Each of them are writing checks they won't be able to cash later on this day. They're talking a big game now. But when the rubber meets the road, they ain't going to be able to back it up. They ain't going to be able to back it up. You see, Jesus knows what's going to happen later this day. They don't know it yet. He knows what's going to go down when real trouble comes. They don't know it yet. He knows each of these guys are going to be disloyal and unfaithful to him. Judas ain't the only one that's going to let him down this day. The same men who were fussing earlier about which of them are going to be considered the greatest are going to dump Jesus and deny him later on. And this causes him agony. But he doesn't let this agony get the best of him. He doesn't let it get in the way of him loving and leading these men. You got you to picture that. Jesus, again, yeah, Jesus is God in the flesh, but he's still a man. He still has emotions. Even though he knows everything that's going to happen, it still impacts him. (laughs) He doesn't walk around, I don't feel. I'm just Jesus. I'm going to die for your sins, but I don't feel no pain. Come on. Come on. That's Plato Jesus. He feels. 
And it's even worse because he knows it's going to happen. But yet he is composed, still loving these men, still walking with them. If you have a pen, pencil, pull it out. If you have a smartphone, open it up. Because I want you to write down or type in your phone what I'm about to say. Raise your hand when you're ready. We're in school. Yes. Your loyalty to Jesus will never be as strong as his loyalty to you. I will. I'm going to repeat it. Your loyalty to Jesus will never be as strong as his loyalty to you. Never. I don't care how many Bible studies you go to, or how many Christian conferences you go to, or how many degrees you got. It ain't ever going to be. Your faithfulness to Jesus will never be as strong as his faithfulness to you. Your commitment to Jesus will never be as strong as his commitment to you, and that is the truth, and you need to accept it. Because Jesus remains loyal and faithful to his people when they are disloyal and unfaithful to him. Don't, don't get a person next to you to side eye. Give yourself the side eye. Because you yourself at some point is going to be disloyal and unfaithful to Christ. And if you say you, you never will be, then you, you, have, you think too highly of yourself. Again, it's always easy to stand on your morality when you ain't put to the test. It's always easy to say what you won't do when you ain't dealing with it. But I'm telling you, when you're dealing with it, it ain't going to be that easy. It ain't going to be that easy. Let me put it this way. Christians, people who have saving faith in Jesus, are prone to be disloyal and unfaithful to him. That is a reality. And if you live in your life trying to make that statement untrue, then you ain't going to have no joy. Do you believe it? Some of you may not. The, 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 the 11 disciples, they don't believe it yet. But what I know is experience is always the best teacher. See, Jesus knows it's true. He believes it's true. And yet he remains perfectly faithful to them while in agony about what's going to happen. He even makes a promise to them while knowing they're going to be unfaithful and, and, and um, disloyal to him. Think about that. Look at verses 28 through 30. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The eleven, those eleven men, Jesus chose them, and they stood with him through the thick and thin these past years. And he promises them a heavenly reward, not an earthly one. What's the reward? Is it a kingdom? Has he assigned them a kingdom? The Greek term that's translated kingdom is more like authority. And one commentator offers a slightly different translation of verse 29, which I like. He says, I'll point to you, as my father has assigned authority unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table. Jesus promises them that they will share with him in his father's kingdom when it comes fully. He promises that he will share all of his privileges with them in the new heavens and the new earth. And this promise isn't dependent 
upon their loyalty and faithfulness because he makes it before they do it. You need to see that. He gives them this promise knowing later on that day they're going to be disloyal and unfaithful. Why is that? Why? Because Jesus' promises is not based upon your ability to remain perfectly loyal and faithful to him. They're not. They're not based upon you. They're not based upon your productivity and performance. Like, do, do you honestly think your performance and productivity can be greater than Jesus's? You may be an expert at something, but you ain't Jesus. And I love that Luke does this because he's showing that that all of his promises are based on his loyalty, his commitment, and his faithfulness. They're based upon his productivity and his performance. But do you believe it? Now, I'm not talking about right here, but do you believe it here in your heart? Are you going to believe it Monday morning? That your performance and productivity does not guarantee you God is going to give you his promises. Christ already did what it did what it had it. He had to do for you to get the promises. That's like building a castle out of mud and realizing you got a beautiful castle behind you, but you don't want that because you want to build your own out of mud. Have you ever tried to build a castle out of mud? Ain't gonna happen. You already got one. So get up and start trying to create what Christ has already given you. And what and I know this goes against our American culture, because as Americans, we are go-getters. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. That's anti-gospel. Everything that America values is anti-gospel. Because to be honest with you, when you're in God's kingdom, You are on government assistance. And you get your EBT card. It's called grace, forgiveness, acceptance, forgiveness. Because without those food stamps, you ain't getting in. So you need to know that. You own welfare. So if you want an illustration of what it means to be part of God's kingdom, that's it. You want government assistance. And you need to enjoy it and love it. In verse 28, Jesus tells the disciples, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. Notice he says, in my trials. You see, the disciples have not experienced any trials of their own up to this point. For three years, it's been Jesus' trials. They've just been tagging along. But theirs are coming. They're going to experience trials and temptations of their own. At the Academy Awards last Sunday, Denzel Washington told Will Smith, at your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. The devil comes for these 11 disciples. Just like with Job, Satan asks and receives permission to tempt the disciples. 
TVC saints, their disloyalty and unfaithfulness to Jesus is connected to spiritual warfare. It's connected to spiritual warfare. Satan is going to do his best to separate them from Jesus completely. And Jesus knows that the enemy is going to try to destroy their faith. Satan is going to use their disloyalty and unfaithfulness to draw them further away from Christ. This is spiritual warfare. Jesus tells them this, but they still don't believe it. But he intercedes for them anyway. He prays that their faith may not fail. Look at verses 21, 31 through 32. And notice that what, what, what Jesus calls Peter, he calls him Simon, Simon, because he's a man with weaknesses that don't know it. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have y'all that he may sift y'all like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He prays for them all and for Peter in particular. He, he pray, his prayer for them is in John 17. His, that is, this is part of his high priestly prayer. And in the high priestly prayer, he prays to his father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He's asking his father to sustain his disciples as they endure trials and temptations and, and testings from the enemy. And God does that. He prays for it before it happens. And then he commands Peter. He says, when you have returned again, strengthen your brothers. Notice that Jesus knows that all of his disciples disciples are going to stray for him. But he also knows all of them will be brought back to the power of his father. Woo! There's blessing in the warning. There's a blessing in the trial. But disciples still don't believe it. Peter, you know, being the, the G that he is, he's, he voices his disbelief. Like he don't sit there like the other ten. He has to stand up and speak. He stands up and, and, and defends his loyalty and his faithfulness to Christ. He says, Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. I'm going, Lord. Look, he, said, he says, I am ready to go with you, Lord, to prison and to death. Peter write a check. He can't cash. Again. We do the same thing. It's easy to make those statements where you ain't staring death in the face. Peter says to him, oh, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you even know me. Not that you were with me, that you even know me, that you even have a relationship with me. That's a betrayal. And remember, saints, your loyalty to Jesus will never be as strong as his loyalty to you. Your faithfulness to Jesus will never be as strong as his faithfulness to you. Each of us are fully capable of denying Jesus, just like Peter does. You got to think, all the Christians who have, who have died for their faith, they didn't die for their faith in their own strength. The Spirit upheld them. And if the Spirit doesn't, we won't either. It's easy to say what Peter says as Christians in America. Because we ain't faced with death and going to jail. We can do this and not even worry about it. But if persecution ever comes, 
some of us would do what Peter does. I don't know him. And for those of us who don't do it, it won't be because of our own strength. It will be because of the spirit of God in us. We're not as strong as we think. Our Lord says not as strong as we make it out to be. NBA superstar LeBron James once said, before anyone ever cared why, where I would play basketball, I was a kid in northeast Ohio. It's where I walked. It's where I, where I ran. It's where I cried. It's where I bled. It holds a special place in my heart. Like King James, I believe each of us have a special place, a place that's special to us. It can be a city. It can be outdoors. It can be the mountains. It can be the beach. What's your special place? The place that you go for solitude. The place that you go to just get away from the noise of the world. What's your special place? Jesus has a special place, and it's called Mount of Olives, particularly the Garden of Gethsemane that lays at the foot of the mountain. This is Jesus' special place. This is where he often goes for prayer and for solitude, and this is where he takes the 11 disciples in Luke 22, verses 38 through 53. This is the place where Jesus finally expresses his agony. This is when he lets it out. Look at verse 41 through 44. And Jesus withdrew from the disciples about a a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And then in agony, he prayed more, more earnestly, and sweat began to drop like blood falling from his face to the ground. That's agony. And can you empathize with that human emotion of Christ? Can you understand the, the, the depth of his agony? Everything that causes Jesus agony is getting ready to unfold in his special place. So your special place is supposed to be a safe place. But for Jesus, his special place is going to become a place of his betrayal. One author says, horror and hope collide on the mountain olives. He's in agony over his common suffering and death. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. He knows he's, he's going to offer up himself as a sacrificial lamb for our sins. He knows he's going to experience the full wrath of God for your guilt. He knows that a beating is coming. He knows the nails are coming. He knows the cross is coming. He knows death is coming. So he prays for strength. And the Father sends angels to strengthen him for the suffering to come. For the strength to get through the betrayal. For the strength to get through the disloyalty and unfaithfulness of the disciples. If Jesus had to pray for strength for his suffering, how much more us? How much more us? In verses 47 through 53, Judas finally arrives at the Garden of Gethsemane with the chief priests, officers of the temple, and some Jewish elders. And then Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. Look at verse 43. 7 and 48. Judas, knew, Judas drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus says to him, Judas, 
would you betray the son of man with a kiss? Yes. And that's cold-blooded. That's cold, man. Because a kiss is a, is a is a is an action of affection. But he turned into a sign of betrayal. After Jesus is arrested, the, the other disciples, now they talk a big game, but they eventually scatter and flee. They leave him along with the enemies, and he's arrested and, and taken to the house of the chief priests. And Peter, he eventually comes back, follows at a distance. Someone at the, uh, the, the chief priest's house out a fire, and Peter sits outside. He, he tries to blend in with the crowd, hoping no one recognizes him. But three people do. The servant girl seeing Peter as he sits down and looks closely at him. She says, this man was also with him. But Peter denies it, saying, woman, I, I don't know him. And later, someone else says to him, you also are one of them. Peter said, man, I'm not. And about an hour later, someone else says, clearly you are with him. You are also a Galilean. Peter says, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the, ro- the rooster crows, and the Lord turns and looks at Peter. And Peter immediately remembered what the Lord said. Before the rooster crows today, you would deny me three times. And Peter runs out and weeps bitterly because he's broken and convicted. This is how episode five ends. Jesus is betrayed. He's dumped and denied by his disciples. He is arrested, and he is alone with all of his enemies. All of his friends have left him. This episode also ends with Satan sifting the disciples like wheat. Their testing, their trials, and their temptations have started. Each of them has strayed away. And even though Jesus is in agony, he's not going to be disloyal and unfaithful to these men. Even though he's been betrayed, even though he's been arrested, even though they have abandoned and denied him, he remains true to them. Why? Because his loyalty to them is greater than their loyalty is to him. Remember the words I said earlier that that Jesus spoke to the disciples. He says, you are the ones who have stayed with me in my trials. Now Jesus is going to do the same for them. Do you see the connection? He is going to stay with them in their trials. He's going to stick with them in their testing. He is going to be Emmanuel with them as they endure the temptations from the evil one. He's going to shepherd them back to himself. That's what he does. And he does the same for each of you. He stays with you in your trials. Live long enough, you will be tested. Your faith will be tested. Live long enough, you will go through temptations. Live long enough, you will have trials of various kinds. But Jesus will be with you in them. Even in his own agony, he puts his people first. Is that the type of Savior you worship? Can you see Jesus' presence in your own suffering, in your own agony, in your own trials, in your own temptations? Again, either this stuff is real, either what I'm giving you is real, or I'm just a motivational speaker to give you a little boost for the week. This stuff has to be real. It has 
to be real. Henry Nowen is by probably by far one of my favorite authors because he just has a way of speaking to the heart. And I'm reading one of his devotionals for, for Lent, and I shared this quote this week on full flop note. I'm going to share it here again. Henry Nowen write, wrote, We are often tempted to explain suffering in the terms of the will of God. Not only can this evoke anger and frustration, but it is also false. God's will is not a label that we can put on, on happy situations. God wants to bring joy, not pain, peace, not war, healing, not suffering. Therefore, instead of declaring any and everything to be the will of God, we must be willing to ask ourselves, where in the midst of our pains and sufferings can we discern the loving presence of God? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, even in agony, even dealing with your own agony, you put your people first. You have emotional intelligence. 100 is perfect. And so I thank you, Lord. I know that what you're getting ready to go through, it hurt. It hurt bad. Your suffering leads to our salvation. Your pain leads to our joy. Your death leads to, our, leads to life for us. And I was so thankful that after the grave, there's a resurrection. Death does not have the final answer. Death does not get the final and last word. Your suffering is not the end of the story. Your beating is not the end of the story. The nails are not the end of the story. The cross is not the end of the story. The grave is not the end of the story. The resurrection is coming. And Lord, I believe the same thing is true for us. Our sin and our sufferings, they don't get the last laugh in our life. We too experience resurrection every day. And one day, a resurrection from the grave. Because of your life, we have life. And because of your death, we have no fear in death. It is in your name that I pray. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service?